Before we get to today's episode, we have a quick message from our sponsor. Advertising Week Europe returns to London for its seventh year, March 18th to 21st, 2019 at Picture House Central. Featuring unique perspectives on media, marketing, technology, and creative, Advertising Week Europe discusses the key business trends and issues that will shape the global industry in the year to come. For more information, visit advertisingweek.com slash Europe. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to The Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and today's guest is the footwear designer, Sarah Flint. In this episode, Sarah discussed her decision to pull her brand out of wholesale and start a direct business and the ripple effect that had on her customer relationships, product design, and company growth. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Uh, So... You launched the brand in 2013. It's gone through a few uh, evolutions, a few stages since then. Why don't you just set the set the retail scene uh, for for when you launched the brand? What what motions did you go through? Like, how did you make the decisions that you made? And what was it like when you first came out of the gates? Yeah. So I guess I should start by saying footwear is my absolute passion in life. I am that little kid that tried to wear her patent leather tap shoes to school because they had the heel and they made the little click and uh-huh. they're wonderful. Um, and, you know, I started this company because I wanted to make shoes, the kinds of shoes women wore in their everyday lives uh, that were actually comfortable and functional. So the scene when I was launching my brand was very very much a time of the island platform and, you know, the insane um, five inch stiletto um, heel. And uh, there was so much design emphasis put on those types of shoes and feathers and beading. And they were all very, you know, virtuosic. Mm. And to me, I thought, well, first of all, why are they how is it that you can pay eight hundred dollars for a pair of shoes and you have to take them off halfway through the day because you're so uncomfortable? Um, And second of all, you know, why is there no design emphasis put in flats, in mid-heels, in the kinds of shoes that women really wear. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my, you know, my impetus for for starting the brand. Um, and I started in a traditional wholesale model. So um, my background is I studied design and manufacturing. Um, so I went to school in New York for design, and then I moved to Italy to study manufacturing. Um, I actually went to school sort of alongside factory workers and learned about, you know, the engineering that goes into shoe design, again, because I wanted to figure out how can I make these shoes actually functional and comfortable. Um, And I was very determined that I wanted to use Italian factories, sort of the best in class luxury factories, um, but, you know, putting into place these new techniques. Um, And so, you know, by virtue of the fact of where I was producing, the price point was high. We were selling, you know, our average price point was around $600. Um, You know, it ranged from um, $395 up to, you know, $1,800 if it was something really crazy with crocodile or Mm -hmm. something like that. and so I started selling at department stores. I sold to Barney's, Bloomingdale's, Shopbop, Mode Operandi, all those kinds of great places. And mm-hmm. that was very much the thing to do at that point if you right. if had you a luxury to, if you had yes. a luxury product, exactly. Yeah, and so so it's interesting to hear the the design background. So you you felt like your your spin on it was more of the the design technique because functionality in, in footwear. I, I think you know starting around that time and and today I'm. 
was reading up on your on your brand and was like, maybe it wasn't the best day to wear my Reeboks. But <laughs> it goes to your point of, you know, people now are saying, you know, we don't have to suffer this much. And so you wanted to make really high, high fashion, high design. Yeah. Uh, but well-fitted, more comfortable shoes. Exactly. And so how did the buyers at those department stores at the time respond to to that take in, in a brand like yours? It was definitely a challenge to convince them. I mean, in theory, they wanted that, but also the trend at the time was, was these really, really high heels. I didn't make anything above 100 millimeters, mm-hmm. and I personally don't even wear that heel height. And how many inches is um, that? That's like four inches. Okay. Um, I don't really go above three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they were like, well, where is the, you know, where's the really editorial? Where's the, you know, the really sexy one or the really virtuosic one, um, especially, you know, launching as a new brand. They really wanted something. Wow. Because they had some more tame ones that mm-hmm. people would buy into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, there was a lot of, uh, well, can you, can't you make this higher? You know, what if you put m- even more beads on this? That type of thing. Um, but, you know, eventually we got into Barney's first, which mm-hmm. was amazing. Or not first. We got an, a year in, but it was our first department store. And Barney's is obviously very well known for sort of launching new brands. And that was a, you know, a door opener for us. And then, of course, you know, once people did try the shoes and see how well they fit, um, it was, you know, going from there was, <laughs> was easier. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and then how was the business while, while you, you were going about it that way? Did you have e-commerce? Um, you know, what did you how did you make product decisions? Like, was it was it things like that? Like a buyer kind of prodding you in a certain direction? Um, what was your big takeaway on, on running a wholesale brand? Definitely. Um, so we had an e-commerce business, but not a big one. You know, we were at the time that I launched Barney's, we had three employees and we're working out of my apartment. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we didn't have like an e-commerce manager. We weren't doing any digital marketing. There was none of that. Um, so our e-commerce business was really fueled by the organic press that we were getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of decisions, it was really a around um, speaking to my customers directly. So, I mean, of course, you get feedback from the department stores, and I spent a lot of time on the department store floors, so actually talking to the sales associates, and and um, and I used to go to Barney's once a week mm-hmm. to talk to the sales associates and sort of understand... Um, understand what they were hearing and seeing. Um, But I also did a lot of trunk shows, um, both in the stores, especially the specialty stores. And then we also did private trunk shows um, in women's homes and clubs in, um, you know, we did one, we did them with, you know, groups like the Women's Bond Club, that kind of thing. Um, And that was the biggest informer for me is mm-hmm. really being able to see people trying them on, talking to the customer. We had social media and social media was you know, a great way for me to talk to the customer too, but it wasn't as big a piece because it was me and two other employees and right. I was doing 101 things. So it was me running the social media. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I still run our social media in a lot of ways where I'm very involved in everything. But I have, you know, people that are helping me respond to every customer and um, you know, plan content and all that kind of thing. Right. And and then all that leads us to the decision you made a few years back or yes. two about two years ago. One year, One just year over ago. a year ago. So just over a year ago we moved to direct to consumer. We actually canceled orders to uh-huh. department stores and pull, pulled out of them and dropped our prices in half. Right. So how, um, did you, how did you do that without the, the whole thing I mean, falling it was, apart? 
It was scary. It was mm-hmm. definitely a risky decision to make. But ultimately, you know, as I was looking at the landscape of the industry, as I was talking to my customers and I was seeing, you know, one of my best customers, I, when I told her about it, um, she was wearing, this woman is always dressed to the nines. And probably in the first year that I met her, she would never have been wearing this, but she was wearing um Cuccinelli pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a Prada bag, Sarah Flint shoes on, and she had an Everlane button down on. And go. I thought, oh, if this woman, you know, this Park Avenue woman is, is you know, adopting this, and then not to mention the fact that, you know, I'm 30 years old, all of my friends, they either shop direct to consumer or they shop sale. Mm-hmm. They don't shop, um, you know, in full stores, price, full yeah. price in stores. And um, then, you know, then what are we doing? And, um, you know, I also looked at the landscape of direct-to-consumer and what had worked really well. And, you know, I saw all of these sort of really brands that were making basics, um, you know, very minimalist sort of basics. And even like the way that they were branded, you had sort of like the sans serif font and like the pastel backgrounds yeah. and the very, very minimalist photography. And I thought, well, isn't there a huge opportunity to take a true luxury brand mm-hmm. and bring that to direct-to-consumer? Not change, you know, the only thing that you're really changing is the price and the way that you're selling. Mm-hmm. Don't change the manufacturing at all. We're still made in the same incredible factories. Um, but offer that kind of, you know, design twist on you know, real luxury product. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, to this day, that's something that's that's really great about the shoes. It's um, people, it, it, it's something you can wear every day, but someone's going to look at your feet and say, hey, oh my gosh, where'd you get those shoes? Those are great. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you weren't focusing that much on e-commerce or on digital marketing. Yeah. I'm sure you had to change oh, yeah. everything whenever everything. you pulled yeah. out. Yeah, so we had, you know, six employees I had to hire. I brought in um, someone uh, ahead of um, digital marketing, mm-hmm. and um, we we really had to change a lot. We had to change, you know, our warehouse, obviously, because when you're doing a big e-commerce business, there's a that's a very high-touch mm-hmm. um, situation where everything has to be, you know, checked when it comes back in and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, we had to. We hired a, a digital marketing agency. We brought in someone for social media just recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been definitely, you know, an overhaul. We redid the website for almost no budget, <laughs> with almost no budget um, to make it, you know, more functional. Uh-huh. We're actually going to be relaunching the website in February nice. with a brand new website, which is going to be amazing. Are I'm the so fonts excited about. <laughs> no, <laughs> they are not. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so there, there was definitely a lot of changes that had to happen. And, um, you know, I think probably one of the biggest changes was the product strategy, actually. How so? Um, you know, when you sell to department stores, you have to make a different product for each one in a way because, you know, because of the markdown cadence, and this is another benefit of being direct to consumer, is that you're not controlled. Your markdowns, each department store doesn't want to have the same product as another because that means when they go on sale, they have to go, the other one has right. to go on sale, right? Because right? they can't have competing. different prices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to design, I was designing around 200 different styles a year oh, wow. at that point. Um, now I'm designing like, well, I design more, but then it, we narrow it down to like 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may get, you know, even smaller than that at some point. Right. Um, and then, of course, we introduce new special edition versions of, of our bestsellers. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, what what we've seen is that the customer actually doesn't want that much choice. Mm. And we also have all the data to know what's actually performing best. Exactly. Um, so what, what has the customer been been telling you? Yeah, so it's really, I mean, it's, they, it's continues flats and um, 
you know, and mid heels continue to be the bulk mm-hmm. of our business. Yeah. Um, that's that's certainly something that they tell so us. So not the four inches, not the beads, the craziness. That... No, no. And but although we do have those pieces, you know, yeah. we have I do limited edition styles that are you know really beautiful and artisanal, and they're the type of things that I make you know fifty pairs of something mm-hmm. like that, and people know when those launch on Tuesdays and that they have to move pretty quickly on them because they sell out. Um, because I didn't want to lose you know that artistic piece either and you know I still have seasonal inspiration mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff but right. we really focus on um, offering more of having the most of you know the kinds of products that we're seeing be really successful right and, and that's a very different scenario than when you're you're designing for the department store who Definitely. you're kind of hoping knows what their customer wants and, exactly and they, and they do to an extent but you know they're working with so many different brands and yeah and it's you know even if they know what their customer wants which you know there are some really great buyers out there that do um they have to fill in they have an open to buy that they have to fill into mm-hmm. right so um it, it may not be that the black pump is the best possible pump from your collection, Mm -hmm. but if they're missing mid-heel black pumps in their overall assortment, they could buy just that black pump and, you know, another flat and the assortment could look really strange. Yeah. You know, it it might not be the best offering from your brand because they have to fit in Mm -hmm. what works overall for their floor. We'll be right back. With over 75 seminars and workshops alongside legendary nighttime events, Advertising Week Europe 2019 will go deep into topics, trends, and of-the-moment issues that are critical to the industry. For more information, visit advertisingweek.com Europe. If you're ready to purchase your ticket, use code AWGlossy for 20% off. We hope to see you there. Hi, I'm Gianna Cappadona, the producer here at Glossy. If you have been enjoying the Glossy podcast, it's time for you to check out our other show, the Glossy Beauty Podcast. This week, our beauty editor Priya Rao sits down with Divya Gugnani, co-founder of Wander Beauty. They talk about building a luxury brand for real women and using intuitive technology to connect with your customer. You can find new episodes of the Glossy Beauty Podcast every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, Glossy.co, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us any feedback you have. Now, back to the episode. And and has the customer changed uh, since you since you went direct? Um, I guess my first question is how much insight did you have into who your customer was before, and how does that compare to to now? It was a minimal before. <laughs> seriously, I mean, you don't you don't get that's the biggest thing is that you don't own your customer data right. um, with wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have just you know complete and total insight into our customer now, which is amazing. Um, we've definitely seen the age range go down. I think you know that's by virtue of the, of the price point in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Um, but we've really retained our old customer too, which is amazing. One of the things I thought a lot about um, when I was making the switch is how is this going to look to my loyal and existing customers that have been paying you know seven hundred dollars for for shoes for um, three years. Right. Um, and so. What we ended up doing was we even gave anything that was carrying forward into the new, like Sarah Flint Direct, we ended up giving people a credit for the difference in price point for that shoe. So they were able to use that towards a pair on the new website. Mm -hmm. Um, And they loved that. They were ecstatic and they 
in response were going and telling all their friends about it. This is a brand I used to buy it at Barney's and I started buying it on their website. And now, you know, they've gone direct to consumer to, you know, be able to offer a better price. And mm-hmm. the messaging around that, I it was a, a letter from me and it was, look, I want to be able to offer you the best possible product at the best possible price and to speak to you directly. Right. Um, and people responded really well to that. Yeah. And, um, and, and nothing changed about the product. No. The, the savings literally just came from not having that, that yeah. uh, buyer middleman. In fact, I was able to make the product even better mm-hmm. because, you know, there's it's such a, such a tight margin mm-hmm. when you're selling at wholesale. And, um, you're, there's always downward pressure too. The you know you're always the they'll always tell you this will do better if you you know take off fifty dollars if you take off a hundred dollars all mm-hmm. of that and you want you know to succeed so um, it, it happens so you know for example the perfect pump is something I launched this year which is a pump that has arch support and um, you know six millimeters of padding and rubber grip on the bottom. All of the things that I had seen were an issue for women with pumps over Mm -hmm. the years. And, you know, I never could have made that pump um, and sold it on a department store floor because why would it stand out, right? And it would have to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, And you can't tell the difference. Exactly. From from face value. Exactly. So, and to go back to our, our earlier conversation, it's interesting because do you find that women are wearing heels less? And how do you sort of you mentioned, you know, mid mid heels and flats are yeah. do best. So you have that range. Absolutely. But how do you how do you measure the success for the brand beyond just straightforward sales? Are they going up or down? You know, it's yeah, I'm sure repeat rates. And you know, how do you, how yeah, do you all of the, tra- the traditional ways that, um, you know, that e-commerce companies measure their customers right. um, sales obviously new customer acquisition traffic to the website mm-hmm. um, repeat customer rate all right. of that stuff and we've seen you know our our growth this in this last year since we moved to direct to consumer has been exponential mm. it's been pretty crazy right and, so. and have you done a, a lot on the paid marketing front to to get the awareness out there yeah What's absolutely like? we have um, we do have a you know a digital marketing firm that we use and then um, someone in-house who who works on that um, with them um, and but we've done you know we've had a lot of organic we get a lot of organic press mm-hmm. um, we have a pretty crazy celebrity following which has been great mm-hmm. um, and so and, and we even use a lot of that press in our paid to you know re boosted and all that kind of stuff. Um, But we haven't done, you know, in the first year, especially, you know, we were seeing how this worked. We were budget constrained. We didn't do media buys or, you know, podcast advertising or out of Mm -hmm. home. So the next growth, the next year of growth for us is really, you know, doing all of those things, ramping up the marketing budget. Right. And whenever you're you're looking at you know the the strategy for for talking to the customer that way and and getting you know the most the bang for your buck essentially yeah. what, what channels work best and what is the the end goal because you hear so many times that you know a paying you have to pay to play yeah but paying to buy a customer one time is you know absolutely uh, yeah it's not it's, it doesn't pay out in the long run so, no, so how do you look at it that way and you know I'm sure you talk about this with everybody every day paid gets more is getting more and more expensive mm-hmm. it's very different today than it was before um, you know I think it's it's really a, a multi-pronged strategy and it has to be you know a combination of paid earned um, the kinds of customer retention activations that you do. We have a brand ambassador program mm-hmm. um, that's been really amazing for us. Um, and I, th- I view customer service as um, 
as really a revenue driver um, instead of a cost center. Um, our customer service team works really closely with with people, and you know they're reaching out and suggesting things, and and all of all of that kind of good stuff as right. well. I think is really important. Yeah, and I'm sure you know it all comes down to the the messaging and the positioning. Um, but you know something that's interesting is you now are looking at a market that's way more crowded and the word luxury gets thrown around so much. So really exactly. And so how do you, yeah. and you know, and you're coming from a place where you've, you know, you have the manufacturing and the design background, which yeah. is actually kind of rare for consumer brands today. Uh, yes, <laughs> especially absolutely. Even in fashion. Yeah. And you also had that, you know, for, for everything that, you know, is kind of clunky with the wholesale model. Now you, ha- you are sitting alongside all of these other luxury brands. Absolutely. It, it's not exist. Like, yeah, we were sitting like, on the shelf next to Hermes and Manola Blahnik. It's, exactly. It's, uh, it's a, a big change. Right. So how do you communicate that and, and make sure that the customers are not just like, oh, this is another luxury brand without the luxury markup yeah. you know, type of company? That's it's a mix between, you know, the interesting thing that we talked a lot about when we were making this transition is I really don't feel it's about price mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, I I believe that new luxury and the luxury of the future is going to be about design, the best possible quality. Um, And, you know, luxury is always about prestige, right? Mm -hmm. Some kind of prestige. Prestige used to come from price and um, where it was sold Mm -hmm. and um, will always come from, you know, celebrity and editorial, although editorial, prestige of editorial is certainly changing as we've seen. but I believe that that last prestige part is really is really changing. Right. And and so how do you define how do prestige? We, yeah. I mean, for us, the prestige is coming from, you know, kind of the influences that are wearing the shoes, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the press, that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, our customers, really, uh-huh. and the reviews that they're really giving and leaving, um, conveying it, it is something interesting because we were like, well, how much do we want to talk about price? Mm-hmm. You know, it because we I also believe that, you know, at some point direct to consumer is going to be, you know, the way of the future mm-hmm. and that luxury brands will go direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we right now we talk about it. Um, you know, we do it on social. We talk about it in emails. Um we don't have anything. We're our, on our new website. We will show the price differential mm-hmm. um, between, you know, if it was wholesale versus, um, or sorry, if it was uh, sold at a retail store versus right. um, the direct price that we're giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we need to continue to educate the customers about, you know, right now and maybe, you know, in the next few years. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's something that we'll have we'll continue to talk about in the later life cycle of the brand. Right. And. You know, it all like you said, it comes down also to the quality of the product. Once people do try it on, they, they can feel the difference. So without those, you know, that department store representation, how do you figure out the offline piece? Yeah. Um, so, you know, department stores, by the way, you know, there are certain department stores that are also really figuring out how to work with direct-to-consumer brands and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing their relevance and importance to their customer. Right. Um, so there are ways to work with department stores just on a different economic model, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, a leased department or some kind of a pop-up within. Um, you know, we certainly are open to doing something like that in the future. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it's an issue of resources now and, um, you know, and team and figuring out what's important right. first. You're just getting started. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and we want to be really, you know, cautious about how we grow. Um, 
So, you know, there, there's that. And then there's, of course, pop-up shops and um, your owned retail, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, becoming, we're seeing more and more direct-to-consumer brands do. And, you know, of course, everybody's talking about how it's growing, you know, in that region, it's growing their online business. Right. And that's also absolutely something that we'll do in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, we, our new website is going to do an amazing job. You said, how do you convey prestige? I mean, mm-hmm. prestige is one thing, but also craft is another thing. And, you know, level of quality and materials and stuff. Our new website has a lot of, you know, new sort of interactive features where you're really going to be able to see more about what's gone into the making of that shoe and mm-hmm. the level of materials that are being used and right. and all of that. Right. And yeah. and so you see like the the in-store department store yeah. playing a different role in terms of you can have a more flexible model. It's interesting because you hear so many brands like say, you know, is it is it worth the resources? And then, yeah, you know, how do you sort of figure? Is it actually worth yeah. it? I mean, for I've us seen what department stores can do. Yeah, I wouldn't be where I am without you know the help of Barney's and Bloomingdale's and all of these amazing retailers that took a chance on me. Mm-hmm. You know, they really really helped me start my brand. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's a powerful tool. It really right. is. They have a loyal and dedicated customer. So right, and so you know, as you look at that down the line, um, where where else are you focusing on expanding the brand right now? At you know, the web- website's coming up. You're mm-hmm. starting to focus more on the on the digital marketing levers. Where else do you see that you can go? Yeah, um, partnerships. We have a lot of um, uh, working on a lot of partnerships this year with like-minded brands, mm-hmm. um, with you know brands that I love and really want to introduce you know my customer base to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot more with building out brand ambassadors and sort of community activations and community management. Um, you know, we have seen how important it is and how much customers want to get into you know more than just a product but a lifestyle behind the brand. Right. Um, so. So as you're looking at, you know, everything that's on the table right now and and where your business is, if you had come out of school and were starting a brand today, do you think you would have done what you're doing now or would you have wanted to go the same the same route through the department stores? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's actually one that that people ask me a fair amount. Uh Um, If I was coming out today, I would start with direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. I think where I started at the time that I started was the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it got me, 100%, it got to me, got me to where I am. I also think there used to be, you know, in terms of prestige and celebrity and press, it used to be that you couldn't even get, you know, looked at by Vogue unless you were in one of these prestigious stores or um, in style or, you know, any of those those kinds of magazines. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, that's changed so drastically now. So, so you would go direct. You do think it'd be harder not having that that background and and those customer relationships. Um, you know, would would your direct business look differently not having all of what you do have behind you? Yeah, I mean, I think you would have to adjust. But you know, we're still going to have to adjust. We'll see mm-hmm. things evolve in the next two years the way we've seen them evolve in the last three years. Right. Um, but you know, it's more. The, is the space more crowded? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the lug, the true luxury sector um, sector of direct of the direct to consumer space is less crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of like design led luxury sector. Right. Um, but there's always new ways to approach things, and and someone who has a passion and mm-hmm. is smart um, and loves what they do is is going to figure out the right way to do it. Right. What about um, the the VC element of of being a direct brand? Now that yeah. we're you know there you can get a new type of investment that can boost 
you to the next place? Is that something that you're you're interested in? Or what are like the, the, yeah, the pros and cons? Down the road, um, for sure. Uh, I think it all depends on the right partner, mm-hmm. right? It depends on it's completely depends on on the firm and you know what they're expecting. Right. Um, but it, it's certainly something that we're we're open to and have had conversations and mm-hmm. we'll continue to have conversations. Right. And and do you think that that's something you would have even thought about like five years ago? No, mm-hmm. I don't. Um, I think there's just very there are very few I, actually I couldn't name I could name probably two no, no I couldn't even name like a traditional right. VC firm that mm. is investing in like a, a luxury wholesale brand right just, in from the beginning of course right because you, you know they're different businesses mm-hmm. and and what do you think that means about fashion's you know traditional guard like you mentioned everything from media to the players in the space to the, the department store buyers kind of being the gatekeepers you know, where do they go next when when you look at, a, you know, a brand like yours that was by all yeah. accounts, you know, thriving in that setting? Yeah. Even yours saying, OK, there's actually a better way we can we can do this and, and pulling out. Like what what type of signal does that send to signal to to the buyers? To so the it's basically old, yeah. old fashioned, old fashioned. <laughs> I think that it signals that they that they need to figure out an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they are. I really do. And even, you know, like the CFDA, for example, I'm mm-hmm. a member of the CFDA and I have been since I was a wholesale brand. Um, but they're doing much more with direct to consumer brands now. Um, and, you know, the the CFDA is as traditional fashion, you know, prestige as you can get. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to a CFDA talk with at MM Lafleur um, mm-hmm. the other day. Like they're really, they're jumping on board. Mm-hmm. And, and and you think it's the CFDA? Actually, you used to be accept to be accepted to the CFDA. One of the requirements was that you be in one major department store. Really? Yeah. Has that changed? Yes. And it's I now- believe so. I. We're gonna have to. Yeah, you're gonna have to double check that one. But okay. I believe it. I think it's changed because uh-huh. I. Yeah, because there are a few members that aren't in department stores. Right. Yeah. And you know, do you think we're gonna see more designers who are, who are in positions like yours headed to this model? Absolutely. I really, and and you know, and I talk to people all. I have people who email me, who uh-huh. call me all the time, and say, "How did you do it? You know, right. how did you make that decision?" And you know, because it's a it's a financial decision too, right? You had we had revenue booked that we had to cancel, mm-hmm. right? And then figure out how do you scramble? How do you make the transition? You know, we canceled orders and then we had basically a summer where we weren't in stores, mm-hmm. um, where we didn't deliver, basically. We didn't deliver pre-fall. Um, and then we launched um, at, uh, we launched in November. So around the time that you're selling true fall right. slash holiday. Right. Um, yeah, because you, you hear if a wholesale brand is doing some online, but it, you know it might make up twenty percent of their business mm-hmm. being direct, whether that's online or in stores. To like c- cancel eighty percent of yeah. of the business, <laughs> how do you survive that? <laughs> you just we were so confident around the demand for the product uh-huh. um, and the dedication we'd seen from our customer base and the future of the industry that we just said this this is the way to go. Right. Yeah. yeah it's 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 interesting. And so, what do you what advice do you give to to the designers that ask you about it? Um, I usually, I ask them about their team. Uh (laughs) Um, I ask them if they, you know, have the right people around the table now, or if that's something that they would need to bring on. We brought in the right person, you know, months and months before we made the switch. Mm -hmm. Um, I ask them, 
yeah, it's it's a lot about team and a lot about um, you know their existing investors mm. <laughs> and how they would feel about it. Right. Um, and you know, are they willing to support them in like a bridge period? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tell them to, to go for it, and that it's scary and it's hard, but but that it's it's doable. Right. It's almost similar to to the brands that are on the you know off season fashion schedule, where yeah. you have all these brands that. We're thinking, okay, why are we showing yeah. fall clothes and spring, so on? And you know, it's it's hard to kind of uproot the way when a business is in motion. It's, oh, absolutely! You, you, know, you can't. You're changing things on the fly, and it's been incredibly difficult for our factories actually yes. to understand. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, they're still they still feel like they're you know, even though you have your production you know, landing windows, they still feel like they're following a wholesale calendar. Mm-hmm. It's been beneficial in the fact that we can. Um, produce in the windows where they're less busy normally, um, which is really actually very good for them. Right. Um, But getting them to understand delivery dates and um, and stick to those was Mm -hmm. was a challenge initially. And now you're you're essentially seasonless. Is that right? Yes. Like, what, how do you? Yeah, sort of look we're at seasonless, your and then we introduce um, we introduce new product. You know, almost weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, there are periods of the year where we, you know, we like where there's a couple weeks where we don't. Like if it's um, you know during uh, like right after Christmas, because that's not you know a great time to introduce new product. Right. Um, but trying to always keep something new for the customer to come and see. Right. Um, so we have that core product, like I said, and that core product never goes on sale, by the way. Mm. We do, we're gonna, we do um, 10 days of sale twice a year, and that's it. Mm-hmm. For, um, like, for like limited edition. For limited edition products. stuff, exactly. Mm-hmm. And core never goes on sale. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the other thing that I, you know, as I mentioned, my friends, and and me, actually, yeah. and I, I shop, you know, I only shop direct-to-consumer brands and sales. Right. Um, so I I didn't want to I didn't want my customer to be trained to do that because exactly. essentially we're already fifty percent lower. Right. And and if you know a brand is is one to to clearance or put things on sale, you'll you'll wait. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. So you can't you can't yeah, get yeah, in their yeah. heads. Yes, I'm definitely guilty of that. Right. No, of course. And so you know, as we're looking looking ahead, we're at the beginning of the year. Where do you see that designer direct space? evolving like where are the where are the obstacles that that people would would have to kind of overcome and and you know especially now yeah. as we're kind of even seeing a return to wholesale as brands are kind of having trouble to grow on their own yeah you know where do you where do you see like the growth expectations headed for for a brand where you know it's not going to be a billion dollar business but you know, it's it's going but to reach a certain. Be. It could be. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is the growth that you see from direct to consumer. It could be a billion mm-hmm. dollar business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just it's a different, a different. You can scale so much more quickly in some ways. So but. you see, you see bigger growth potential yeah. being direct. I don't think that was the case years ago, uh-huh. or a few, even a few years ago. It used to be that you could st- scale incredibly quickly with wholesale because. Um, you could, you know, get a number of accounts and get huge volume right mm-hmm. away. Um, that's that's different now um, because because wholesale businesses just aren't really taking new brands as right. much, yeah. and they're working on partnerships with direct to consumer brands mm-hmm. and you know and and things like that. Right, but, but the playing field has yeah. changed. One other thing I I thought of that if it, when I talk to other people who are thinking about this, as a, if they are designers like myself, you have to understand that you're going to have you're not going to be designing as much right that Mm -hmm. you're going to have you need to have less product Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not always the case but at least to start with less product Um, and so for me transitioning from designing 
200 pairs of shoes a year to 14. At first, I was like, oh, this is this is kind of sad, you know? <laughs> um, it feels like businesses must be, like, you know, dwindling or something. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we also hear about designer burnout, like yeah. being on that, like, hamster wheel of, yeah. a, of a fashion calendar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't miss that, but at the same time, yeah, it, it you know, I, I love designing. Right, so. But course. there's other, you know, I, I get to spend, I get to put my design in, more into photo shoots and mm-hmm. into content creation and that kind of stuff, which has been mm-hmm. also like a fun learning thing for me. Right. Um, so as, as a business owner, um, do you feel just more more in control in general? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm controlling my own destiny and mm-hmm. it's great. And even like, yeah, I feel like I, <laughs> I'm in control now. I control the markdowns. Mm-hmm. I can talk directly to my customer. I can control how they're treated. I can control how, you know, I can, uh, you know, educate them on the product and and all of that yeah great well really excited to see see where it goes next thank you Um, thank you so much for joining thank you and thank you for listening we'll be back next week with another episode special thanks to gianna cappadona the producer of this podcast if you've been enjoying the glossy podcast and aren't a glossy plus subscriber yet it's time to consider joining to get access to all of glossy's content member events ticket discounts slack chats and more as a reward for listening, use the code Hillary25 at glossy.co slash plus to get 25% off an annual subscription. That's H-I-L-A-R-Y 25 at glossy.co slash plus. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have. Hold up. 